Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. I'm Clara Young, and I'm here in the studio with Antonio Casilli, who is Associate Professor of Digital Humanities at Telecom Paris Tech. He's also the author of a forthcoming book in French called Waiting for Robots in Inquiry into Clickwork. So thanks for coming into the studio, Antonio. Thank you very much. Our world is digitalizing very quickly, and with it, we are seeing an almost exponential leap in big data and along with it, machine learning. A lot of jobs that have been done by human beings are now being taken over by robots, and anyone who's been in a driverless car knows that. But there's another side to the digitalization coin, and that is that totally new kinds of jobs are being created. So Antonio, you've written and spoken a lot about microworkers and digital labor. What is it exactly? Well, digital labor can be described as, uh, well, labor that can be performed on digital platforms, first of all. Then secondly, that's basically labor that produces data. So it's datafied uh, labor. And What fi- do you mean by datafied? Well, datafied means that basically sometimes you perform uh material tasks, I don't know, like driving a car or uh, using an app, and eventually you produce data. This data are not only the content that you produce, I don't know, you take a picture, that's data, mm-hmm. but also the kind of metadata, for instance, the timestamp of that same picture. Or uh, you can add some labels, you can add a, a tag, I don't know, that's my cat, and I put my hashtag cat. These are also ways of producing data. and. Uh, in a way, uh, these kind of digital labor, to an extent, is the labor that we produce, we perform every day on every platform. Sometimes it's completely uh, free, like, I don't know, the digital labor that we as users perform on platforms such as Google or Facebook. But then secondly, you have uh, a lot of people who are micropaid to perform pretty much the same tasks. And, uh, well, basically they do annotation of data. For instance, I don't know, they take a stack of pictures, so I don't know, 5, 10, 100, and they put labels on those. I don't know, that's, I don't know, a sunny day, or uh, um, I don't know, they listen to conversations that, that not only pictures, there's also, I don't know, voice, uh, and they can listen to a conversation and say, this conversation is in English, or this conversation took place in a noisy place, in a noisy bar, for instance, and so on and so on. How is this important? Why is this important? Because basically this data, especially the annotated data, the the prepared data uh, are extremely useful to do one thing with artificial intelligence, to power artificial intelligence, to train artificial intelligences, which means basically that all the artificial intelligence solutions that are now on the market, well, they need to learn uh, from someone because that's why we talk about machine learning. And machine learning means that somebody is teaching machines to perform, well, their magic. They're training artificial intelligence to work better because it lacks cognitive abilities? Well, they train them to work at all, meaning that at the beginning you have to consider that many of these uh, AI models or machine learning models, to be more precise, are pretty much blank. They have to be familiar with what they do. For instance, if this machine learning model is able to recognize a picture or to Um, I don't know, know what a certain video is about. Well, it has to be trained on what we call, what is called uh, a test data set. So a test data set means that they have to start to make sense of uh, images, videos, data, content in general. And so at the beginning, at inception, they need to be trained. And again, 
who somebody needs to produce the data set, the data that are in the set. And this somebody is usually micro-workers. Okay. So you have a, a study going on right now, and you're doing quite a lot of interviews with these micro-workers. Could you tell us a little bit about what are they doing, where do they live, how much do they make? Yeah. In 2017, we started this uh, research project called DeepLab, which stands for Digital Platform Labor. And uh, the project is mainly about micro-working in France, people who wake up in the morning and usually sometimes they just have, a, uh, I don't know, another job, a day job or a, a part-time job and they don't make enough money with that job. Um, in some cases, uh, we're talking about uh, persons who identify as women uh, who are between 25 to 45 years old mm -hmm. and uh, they need some extra money to make ends meet at the end of the month. So, I don't know, I would give you an example of somebody uh, who we interviewed. Let's call her Juliette. And uh, she is uh, actually performing micro-tasks to train a certain uh, virtual assistant, like, you know, the ones that you have in your smartphone, for instance. Or uh, at home. Or at home, of course, yes, increasingly so. Whenever you want to activate, uh, voice activate those virtual assistants, you just, you know, pronounce a certain name of the virtual assistants. Let's call it uh, X and mm -hmm. say, X, I don't know, mm, buy me a pizza or uh, tell me what's the weather like, I don't know, in, in New York today. And what users don't know is that whenever you voice activate X, uh, well, you have a certain chance of uh, your voice being listened to by human micro-workers. By somebody like... Juliet. Like Juliet. Yeah, like that she basically, well, she works from home. She receives 120 to 170 microtasks per hour. And she basically has to listen to snippets of conversations like people saying, X, buy me a pizza, for instance. And she also has to check if X, the uh, virtual assistant, was able to understand correctly the uh, voice command. And, uh, well, basically, she listens to the snippets, she checks the transcription, and sometimes she bumps into, uh, well, some personal information, like people pronouncing names or giving away the location of their children. In other cases, she really listens to very intimate information, like people looking for porn on the, their smartphone or their own connected device. And so, apart from the privacy side of it, there is some kind of routine alienating side to this for workers like Juliette. Why do you say alienating? Why? Well, by alienating, I mainly mean that she doesn't know exactly what these conversations are all about and how her work is uh, crucial to train this artificial intelligence because the artificial intelligence is fed not only by the voice of uh, its users, but also by the annotations and corrections and microwork of people like Julie, who are paid really a limited amount of money. And by this, I mean that sometimes uh, microworkers are paid 0.06 cents per task. If they are in European countries, probably it's more like 20 cents per task. But again, this is not enough to make a living. And basically what they do, people like Juliette would earn, I don't know, 400 euros per month in some cases, which, you know, it's 
one way of complementing a main revenue, but it's not enough to make ends meet at the mm -hmm. end of the month. Mm -hmm. So this is basically a job on the side. Of course, we also interview people from other countries, right. people from uh, Madagascar, people from uh, Ivory Coast. And these countries, well, they have different situations, mainly because, uh, well, the uh, average wage uh, is lower. And uh, in this case, if you earn the same amount of money performing the same tasks, well, that's a, a significant amount of money there because you, I don't know, in a country like Madagascar where you have uh, the average wage of uh, uh, 40 euros per month, if you earn 50 euros on the side performing piecework on a remote platform to train some mysterious AI you don't know about, you don't know exactly what you're doing. Do they often don't know what they're doing, what the purpose of their work is? That's complicated. In many, many cases, they do not know. Uh, we have been interviewing people who were completely puzzled by the tasks they were given to perform. I don't know, somebody who was, for instance, recognizing or, well, labeling tomatoes in salad pictures. So she receives, I don't know, 10, 15 pictures of a salad dish and she had only to uh, draw a square around tomatoes and not around mozzarella or greens. Why? Uh, well, it's, that's very it mysterious. <laughs> it, well, it was not that mysterious if you know the trick because basically she was training a dietary app. So some it's a kind of nutritional advice app. So with this app, if you're a user of the app, you take a picture of your salad and this app can calculate how many calories are in that dish or in that salad. But of course, this app does not perform her magic, you know, from scratch. This app needs to learn. And who teaches this app? Well, uh, people, people. Who are, like the, the ones that we interviewed. Do you have an, an idea of how many people in the world are micro-workers and where do they live? Which countries do they live well, in predominantly? Let's start with what we know about France. For many years, we were not able to estimate how many people were working on such platforms in France. Based on the research that we conducted in the last two years, we now can say that uh, 40 to 60,000 persons are working on those platforms in France only. And if we look at the global figures, well, they are uh, impressive because uh, if we, uh, okay, of course, uh, these, these are really rough estimates uh, based on the few existing studies that have been conducted so far. And we are basically talking about at least one hundred uh, million persons working on those platforms. If we take into account people who actually work on platforms that really cater to the micro-working market, meaning that they say they do micro-work to train AI, so they declare it in the mission statement. But then there are also other platforms that are disguised as freelancing platforms where people say, well, you know, you can find the director for your video or uh, the graphic artist for your, I don't know, logo. But if you look uh, attentively, you will discover that there is a lot of micro work going on on those platforms too. Well, sometimes there are also micro tasks that uh, are bought and sold. In other cases, you, I don't know, pay for a, a complete and long project but actually you have people who subcontract to other micro-workers on the side. Right. So there's one way of fragmenting bigger projects on these uh, semi-freelancing platforms. And, and sometimes you or I am doing micro-work without even knowing about it and not being paid for it because when we tag a photo or 
uh, when we put in our data when we want to buy something, this we're also doing the same thing. This is very true. We do perform an impressive amount of uh, free uh, and I put a lot of brackets there, right? Free, free digital labor, free micro work for platforms such right. as Google. The most noticeable example is probably Recapture. Recapture was a system that was invented uh, in 2008. And basically the idea is that you have to show you are not a robot. Right, it's the I'm not a robot. Yeah, if you want to to retrieve, I don't know, your password, if you want to leave a comment on a blog, you have to show that you're not a robot. Well, how do you show that? Well, by transcribing warped and strange words that robot already attempted to transcribe and they failed miserably. And so this is why you show that you're not a robot by performing something that robots are not able to do. And by robots, we mean basically uh, OCR, meaning text recognition uh, software. And by this, back in 2008, we, we, meaning users, uh, average users, were performing free digital labor, free micro work in particular for Google, for Google Books in particular, because we were helping Google Books to, uh, well, better understand what was written in the book. Eventually, Google changed it and they turned it into this visual picture-based version of recapture that is now everywhere. (laughs) Yes. And the reason is uh, quite strange because what Google said is that now, you know, we we don't need text anymore. We have more sophisticated way of knowing if you're not a robot. But one of the reasons was that in 2015, uh, Google was targeted by a a big class action in the state of Massachusetts of hundreds of people who wanted to be reclassified as employees of uh, Google for having performed this free micro work on recapture. So they had to come up with something quickly. Now that we know a little bit about micro workers, what are the ethical problems that we need to think about? And what policy would you recommend to deal with the labor standards for micro workers? Well, first of all, we have to take into account, uh, uh, well, some uh, uh, ethical issues that are connected to uh, fairness and in terms of uh, remuneration and also in terms of uh, uh, giving microworkers voice in order for them to know exactly what they're doing, what kind of AI they are training. I will give you an example. I don't know if these microworkers are recruited to train a military AI of a hostile country. What does this do? to their own uh, livelihood and uh, life in general. Uh, in some cases, these are very scary situations and microworkers don't even know about it. Uh, in other cases, in general, uh, they should have also have a voice, a collective voice, in terms of uh, establishing their uh, level of remuneration, how much they are rewarded for their job, and also how this job is recognized in terms of the legal framework of the country they are working in. So from this point of view, a few attempts at regulating microwork have been done. For instance, uh, there are a number of interesting experiments that uh, have been launched in uh, Europe, in uh, Sweden and in Germany. For instance, the German union IG Metall, mm-hmm. uh, which is probably the biggest union in in Europe in terms of uh, members, uh, launched back in 2016 a platform to rate 
micro-working platforms. So basically you can go there and say, I don't know, on these platforms you are paid a certain amount of money and requesters, uh, they are uh, uh, fair with you and they do not refuse to pay you and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. Or in these other platforms, on the contrary, they, you can name and shame bad requesters. Mm -hmm. uh, so this is one way of self-regulating these platforms and giving microworks voice. In other cases, one has to think about, I don't know, uh, enforcing or establishing uh, labor standards, international labor standards. For instance, one two very good questions is how much do you pay people that sometimes perform tasks uh, while being, I don't know, in, a, in an emerging country or in a developing country, but the requester, uh, meaning the main employer, let's put it like this, is based in, I don't know, the US or Europe. So what kind of uh, level of remuneration, the, the one that is uh, in, uh, prevalent in Europe, for instance, or in some parts of Europe, or the one that is prevalent in their... In the domestic... Exactly, market. Market, yeah. Another point is, uh, in case of litigation, which courthouse is uh, actually responsible and which legal system actually applies. And uh, in these cases, we only have tentative uh, answers to these questions. And, but these are questions that, for instance, unions and uh, companies, and of course, also policymakers, are starting to ask themselves. Thank you very much, Antonio. That's Thank a good you. first talk on digital labor. And thanks for listening to OECD Podcasts. I'm Clara Young. To find out more about new forms of work in the digitalized economy, please go to oecd.org slash employment slash future of work. And to listen to our other podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and SoundCloud slash OECD.